Well, good morning. All right, I'll give, you, I'll give you a second try. Good morning. Yeah. Well, we are in a, we've been in a five-part series called Hearing God, and this is the fifth of the five. So um, we're going to jump right into what we're going to do right now. And we're going to watch a video. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Sarah Reimer joined me in the teaching of the series, and that was awesome. And we've got her husband on video here today, and he's going to share a story of how they moved to this neck of the woods from Manitoba. And what I want you to do, this is your assignment, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to the story he's going to share, and I want you to, in your mind, listen for all the things that played a part in the decision that they made to move here. So listen for the factors, listen to the things that came into play, uh, the things that, they, uh, that influenced the decision that they made, okay? And then we'll come back and talk about uh, uh, guidance and how God guides us, and we'll talk about some balance in hearing God. So here comes the video. Take mental notes. There'll be a quiz after. Go. Hello, my name is Leighton Reimer, and Steve has asked that I share a little bit about how our family uh, made the move here to the Cairnport Moostra area and how God has worked during our time here at Briarcrest, both in the good years and in the not-so-good years. Prior to moving to Cairnport, we were living in a town of Neverville, Manitoba, south of Winnipeg. Our church, like Hillcrest, was part of the Southlands Church Renewal Program. I had gone through the Hearing God training and was learning to practice listening prayer. That was all put to the test one day in March of 2017 when Michael Powalki, president at Briarcrest, called me out of the blue and over the course of our conversation he asked me if I would consider taking on the role of chief financial officer at Briarcrest. We were loving our life in Niverville. I had a great job that I really enjoyed and Sarah enjoyed her job at the church and we had a wonderful community of friends and family around us. That being said, for some reason, I t heard Michael out and did not tell him that we weren't interested. Later that day, I told Sarah about the call. For the next while, we talked and prayed about this to know if we should explore this further or if we should shut it down. Ultimately, we figured we should explore this further and asked Michael if there would be an opportunity for us to come and visit, to chat about the role, the opportunity, and about Briarcrest. Our schedule meant that we were, had limited availability. We, it worked out though, through God of course, that Michael with his busy schedule was available the exact weekend that we were available too. We came out of that visit not wanting to move, but felt that God was asking us to com commit this to prayer. We prayed and talked and talked and prayed, seeking God for direction as to what we should do. We were trying to listen for God to speak and to give us clear direction. We also asked very close friends of ours to pray with us and to listen for God's voice. And we also spent some time fasting. I started to feel like I was hearing God say that we should move. But I wasn't sure and I wanted Sarah and I to be aligned. It was also hard to figure out the right timing, if we were going to move, to make the change between jobs. I was trying to launch a very large project at my job in Niverville, knew the fiscal years of both organizations and wanted to make sure that we would move in the summer to be here in time for the start of the school year for our family and for Briarcrest. Sarah and I kept praying and talking over the next couple of weeks. Our children would often be in the living room playing while we would be at the dining room table just a few feet away talking. One evening, Jaden asked us what was going on. He was adamant that we let him know. We decided to tell him and suggested that he join us in prayer. He did. And the next morning, he told us he felt like we were supposed to move. A couple times that week, he asked Sarah if we had decided to move, thinking that we would act on what he had heard, to the point that he felt like we were disobeying God because we hadn't agreed with, what, with him that we were called to move. We spent time talking with him about it and letting him know that although we appreciated that he sensed the Lord giving us direction, we also wanted to hear for ourselves. I was becoming increasingly convinced that God was calling us to move, but still was trying to figure out how the timing might work. 
The Thursday before Easter, just a couple of weeks after visiting Barakas, Sarah was leading a Bible study about Isaiah. Someone asked how Isaiah was called, and so Sarah looked it up. She read Isaiah 6, where it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell the people. For Sarah, it was like the word go was bigger and bolder than any other word on the page. She knew at that moment God was calling us to move. At roughly the same time, I received an idea of how I could make the transition between the two roles work. Making sure I finished one well, including helping them with the launch of the large project and their their year-end, while also being able to start with Briarcrest in time for the start of the school year. It felt like we were getting the clarity and alignment we were seeking. We also went back to the friends that we had asked us to join us in prayer to hear what they had heard. They said they got a picture of a tree being replanted and flourishing. What they heard was aligning with what we had heard. So as hard as it was to leave, in July 2017, our family moved to Cairnport for me to begin the role as CFO of Briarcrest. The move to Cairnport and the work at Briarcrest has been challenging. It has been harder than we expected to build a new community. Briarcrest was struggling financially. We were trying to reverse a trend of declining enrollment by investing in new initiatives but these efforts weren't gaining the results we had hoped for and were putting increasing strain on us financially. Had Sarah and I not both received such clear indication from God that He was calling us here, it would have been easy to turn against each other. Instead, we were able to hold on to the call we received throughout those challenging years. He also gave Sarah a picture of the year of Jubilee. We wondered what that meant and when that might happen. We reached a breaking point at Briarcrest in late 2019, early 2020, as our backs were against the wall financially. Who knew that God would turn things around for Briarcrest financially over the next 24 months? The provincial government provided us with a large special grant in order to help us achieve financial stability. In the fall of 2019, we had launched our Keeping the Faith fundraising campaign with a goal of raising $8.9 million over two years. Our donors stepped up and continued to faithfully give to the mission of Briarcrest throughout the campaign, even despite the pandemic, helping us accomplish our goal by December of 2021. Another significant contributor to our financial turnaround was being able to sell two significant properties that helped us pay off all our debt that we had accumulated over the previous four years. It was looking like 2020 was going to be our year of Jubilee. We were also eligible for federal government assistance due to the COVID pandemic. Because of how the program was designed, we were able to receive a significant amount of money through the program. It may be less exciting, but equally important to our turnaround was how we were able to carefully manage our expenses, keeping them within budget throughout throughout those few years. The last larger way we saw God move through Barakas finances was in our student enrollment. Our high school enrollment grew slightly during those years. Our college enrollment, which we expected to drop in the fall of 2020, did not drop as much as we had anticipated. In the past, our enrollment would always drop from the fall to winter semester. In the January 2021 semester, our enrollment increased from the fall. In the fall of 21, our enrollment increased again. And again, our enrollment increased from the fall to winter semester in January of 2022. We even experienced significant growth in our seminary enrollment as we moved all courses online for the two years during the pandemic. Students were able to attend classes without incurring travel costs, meaning they could afford to take more classes. All these factors helped turn around Briarcrest finances, from being against the wall, wondering if we would survive, to having a healthy nest egg for us to steward into the future. I'm so thankful for how God provided for Briarcrest. And I'm also looking forward to seeing how God will continue to provide in the years to come. Thank you. What a great story. It's a great family story. It's a great Briarcrest story. We love Briarcrest, and it's exciting to see about the turnaround there. And it's a great hearing God story. So, shout them out. What were the factors? 
Prayer. Yeah, prayer. In fact, I think about four times they talked about, or they talked about personally praying. In fact, praying and talking was the phrase I heard lots as, as they, Sarah and Leighton processed that. What else? Fasting was a part of their decision-making process. It took some time to go without food so they could pray and just focus on this. Yeah. Yeah. They asked their close friends to pray for them and to uh, help them make the decision. And later on, they talked to those close friends again, and the close friends had a picture, a picture of a tree being replanted. Yeah. They claimed his promise. Okay, well, there was a scripture involved that they talked about Isaiah 6, right? Sarah had uh, the word go jumped out to Sarah from the scripture reading, okay? Obedience, yep, obedience was a big part of it. A good kid. <laughs> yeah, a kid who prayed and was way ahead of his parents. Uh, <laughs> but then even the process of processing it with your kid, it came into play. I think that's a neat thing. Yeah, listening prayer is was a big part of it, right? They were, and in fact, they took some training in, with the Hearing God course, like we offer here at Hillcrest, and that was the first thing they talked about was listening in prayer. Any other things that played a part in in the decision making process? You guys have done all the spiritual answers, but you just skipped all the practical ones. The logistics of moving, right? Like the timing, right? How to figure that out. In fact, those things, even God was involved in that. Leighton got an idea for the transition between one role and another. Okay? Being available or willing, yeah? Holding on to what they heard when it got hard. And they had some extra help in that because Sarah got a picture that this year of Jubilee, which is a year of freedom, uh, financial freedom actually in, in the Old Testament, and that was what was coming for Briarcrest. But it was something to help them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good things. Yeah, yeah. Being faith, thinking about how they could finish well at where they were and faithful to those commitments. All right, I'm going to just tell you, what, I'm, I have a huge bingo card here, and I'm just ticking them off as we go. I'll just read it out to you. So they did get an open door. Remember last week I said open doors don't decide your whole thing. You should still ask God whether you should go through an open door or not or whether a closed door he wants to open. But they did get an invitation from Briarcrest. Without that, maybe none of this would have happened. Uh, they talked and prayed together as a couple. They mentioned that about four times. Um, they had an opportunity to open up for Leighton and, um, and Michael Pawaki to meet. Uh, the needs of the family showed up in their decision-making process. Their alignment as a couple showed up in their decision-making process. Uh, they became increasingly convinced. So there, there was greater and greater conviction that this was the right move. Those are just lots of different things. I, I wanted us to go through this because the process that God used to lead the Rhymers was really important, and uh, it's already been pointed out. It helped them when they got there and things were hard, when it was hard to build community, when it looked like the financial picture was not that great and wasn't, it didn't look like, it looked sort of dark. The future looked dark there for a while. When it's difficult, it's really, you it's great to be able to go back and say, well, this is how we came to the decision. And, and we really do feel like we did hear from God. So the result was they, they were able to play a part in the turnaround at Briarcrest, in the finances, and in the greater effectiveness of the school. But I wanted to point out that even though I think it's important, so important, in fact, that followers of Jesus hear his voice and sense his direction for them, there's, there are several things that hearing God doesn't replace or erase. And we've, we basically listed some of them in there. Let me just come back to a few of them. One is getting good advice. Say, I've heard from God. I don't need to hear from anyone else. Well, let me give you a scripture. Proverbs twelve fifteen: The way of fools seems right to them, 
but the wise listen to advice. So which would you rather be? Classified as a fool or classified as the wise? And one of the things that makes the difference is you listen to advice. You listen to advice. So you might have said, I, I, I feel like God's speaking about this. Go talk to wise people, people you trust, people who also listen to the voice of God, people who, who you know, um, they tend to make wise decisions. Go ask them for their advice. That doesn't mean that you're rejecting what God has said. It's just it becomes part of the process. Uh, so hearing God doesn't er- eradicate our need for good advice. It also doesn't replace common sense. Proverbs three twenty one to 23. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. I mean, if you feel like you've got a prompting from God or a nudge or or something that he's telling you to do, you can surround that with safety by by using sound judgment and discretion and the different things that are wisdom and understanding. You know, I told a story uh, last week about a God. I felt like God was telling me that I needed to go to Africa. It was quite a strange, out of, like I don't usually get a piece of direction like that that's that odd, actually, in a way. I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't go jump in the Atlantic Ocean and start swimming. Because common sense is still part of the picture. It's still part of the picture. Now, common sense is not negating words you hear from God, but it is part of the picture. You should, you should consider that. It's not obsolete because you can hear from God. And reading, uh, here's another one. Hearing God does not eradicate reading or listening to the Bible. Right? I had a whole week on this, but I want to come back to it because I think it's very important. So if someone says, I, I don't need the Bible. I just, I got a hotline to heaven. I hear from God. Well, you're in dangerous territory. In dangerous territory. Let me read you 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? You want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God's got in store for you? You need the Word of God, the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful. Now, let me just Compare that. Not every time someone feels that they've heard from God, is it God-breathed and useful. Why? Because we can get it wrong. We can think that God's speaking to us, but it's our own thoughts. Um, and there's also, we're a, we're, a, we're a bag of mixed motivations as human beings. And so we want to acknowledge that. So God's word is not, it's entirely reliable. It's not going to fail. But we can make mistakes. We're fallible. We make mistakes. And so it's important to keep, if you want to hear from God in his promptings and his nudgings and his directions in your life, it's important to stay grounded in the word of God. It becomes a filter for the words that we hear. So if you say, I think God wants uh, me to do such and such. Well, do you know what God's word says about that exact same thing? Uh, That'll give you guidance and direction. So as a pastor, I've seen this. I've seen where hearing God has been a huge blessing in people's lives. I've seen where it's led to greater clarity for people in understanding what God wants them to do. Um, I've seen it be an huge encouragement in the church. But I've also seen where people in their attempts to hear from God, they, it's led to confusion. Um, and sometimes it's led to bad outcomes. And so as a pastor, I want to... Uh, Elevate the former. I want all the good we can, we can have in, in being directed and guided by God. But I don't want the other stuff. I want the good for us as a church and not the stuff that, that isn't going to be good. And so in the New Testament, you see the Apostle Paul, he writes to, especially the book of 1 Corinthians has a, a good chunk on this, chapters 12 to 14, basically. It's just giving guidance to a local church to say, here's some stuff that maybe you could apply so that this is a blessing if you read those three chapters, and I'm not going to read them this morning, but basically what it's saying again and again and again is when people hear from God, it's meant to bless the church. It's meant to edify the church. It's meant to build up the church. That's what's supposed to happen. But 
the church in Corinth, that wasn't what was happening. In fact, it was a big mess in that church. So lots of people were hearing from God or felt they were hearing from God, but it was actually causing all sorts of division and destruction in the church. And so there's a role for leaders in the church to say, these are things that will help us uh, help this to be a good thing in our lives and not uh, something that's bad. Let me tell you two of my weirder stories. Who wants? Who likes weird stories? <laughs> All right, and I've told the, some of you've heard these stories before. So I was asked by a pastor friend of mine. He's about twenty years older than me, and he pastors a church about twice the size of Hillcrest. And he asked me if I would come speak in his church, and I was really honored. This was oh, this is a long, long time ago, fifteen years ago at least. Asked me to come, come speak in his church in another city, and I was really honored. And the double honor was this. He said, I trust you so much. I'm not even going to be there that Sunday when you speak. I want you to speak to our people, and I don't even need to be there to make sure it's okay. And I was like, wow, that's huge trust. So I felt really honored. So anyhow, the, I went and was here in this big church, and then I got my moment. I came up to the front and picked up the microphone, and I, I started to share. And I was only a few sentences in when I saw her. And it's a you know, longer church than this one, and it's got a big long aisle, and she was coming down at full speed. And she was a a very, actually attractive middle-aged lady, well put together, well dressed, and she was coming down that aisle, walking, but with such determination. You could just, willpower was all over this lady. And she was coming down the aisle, and, and the thing that I remember distinctly about her was she was in a fur coat, and her fur coat was open, and it was almost like it was just flying behind her as she was coming down the aisle. And she was coming for me. And here I am, a guest in this church, and I'm like, I do not know the rules of engagement in this church. Like, she's coming for, well, she's not coming for me, she's coming for the microphone. And I thought, I don't know how it works. Like, if, if she felt she's heard from God in this church, does that mean she gets the microphone? Like, what am I supposed to do when she gets here? Am I supposed to go? Or am I supposed to go? <laughs> I don't know at all. And so I can see her coming. My mind is racing. I'm trying to act calm on the outside so nobody else sees what's going on inside of me, but I do not know what to do. And she gets to the very end of the seating area, and she's just a few strides away from me, and these two ushers show up. One gently but firmly takes one elbow, and the other takes the other elbow. They wheel her 180 and back out. If you hear from God, like if God speaks to you, do you get to have the microphone? Second story. This is a story Dave Wicks told me. I should have asked him this morning, but I, I've shared it. I've asked for. His, I've shared this once before, so I'll share it again. And hopefully, you can go to him and get it. You know, if he needs to correct any details. But I think I've got it pretty accurate. So Dave Wicks is at a pastors' conference, and there's a prayer time at the end. People were praying for him, and they were, I don't know what they were praying, but probably just really encouraging things, like you know, oh God's got great things in store for you, Dave, and just go for it, serve the Lord, and, you know, whatever. I don't know all the things they were saying, but just really encouraging things that can happen at prayer time like that. And after it sort of, people had prayed for a while, then this one person um, asked David, Pastor Dave, very directly, do you have a microwave? And he's like, yes, I think everyone has a microwave. I have a microwave. You need to get rid of it. He said, well, well, no, I'm, I'm not planning to get rid of my microwave. No, you need to get rid of your microwave. Well, actually, I've got a microwave. It's helpful to heat up my food. I, no, I'm not planning to get rid of my microwave. You need to get rid of your microwave. No, I'm not getting rid of my microwave. Anyhow, I don't, eventually, I think the conversation ended. But question number two, if you feel like you've heard from God, do you get to decide who gets to keep their microwave? Hearing from God or sensing that you've heard from God doesn't mean that you're in charge. It doesn't mean you have authority over others that you, you didn't have before that moment. 
It doesn't mean that you can't be challenged. It doesn't mean you get the microphone or you get to decide who gets to keep their microwave. Which leads me to another thing hearing God doesn't replace. Hearing God does not replace human authority. You can imagine someone saying, I hear from God. So I don't need to recognize any human authority because I just answer to God and that's it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Romans 13, 1-2 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So my mom was helpful teaching me this when I was a kid. She says, unless an authority asks you to disobey God, you should follow their instructions. And uh, that's what I did. I, I hoped that my mom would ask me to disobey God so I could rebel. But she never really left me that loophole. So, so think about it. Teachers in the classroom, unless they're asking you to sin, you should, you should do what they say. Uh, policemen on the street, unless they're asking you to sin, you should do what they say. Revenue Canada on your tax form. Oh, it just got a little harder, didn't it? Even the pastor in your church. Even the pastor in your church. Now, right now you're thinking, that's pretty self-serving, Steve. It is in the Bible. And you might, always not, might not always be a part of Hillcrest Church. So this is, will help you wherever you go. But this is a scripture that applies to me too. Like I am called to be a man under authority. So there's a structure here in the church where I am directly accountable to a board of elders. And um, I'm glad for that. Uh, my hope is that um, I work well with them. I submit well to them. Uh, hopefully it's an example for others. Hebrews 13, 17 talks about the outcome that we hope for when it comes to our relation to authority. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep... Now, this is leaders in the church mainly what it's talking about here, not necessarily the governmental or police or teachers and all the ones, but this is mostly about the church. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. They are responsible to give an account for how they led and how they... um, guided in your life. So do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. You know, when it comes to hearing God, I've been thinking about what what would make my role as a pastor a joy and not a burden? Let's look at a few scriptures to set this up. Joshua 1, 8-9. And this is, yeah, Josh wasn't uh, receiving instruction here, but it says, keep this book of the law, the, the Bible. Back then, they only had the first five books of the Bible. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Do you hear that? Be careful. That's the first thing. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So he says two things that just stuck out to me, two Bs. He says, be careful. And he says, be strong and courageous. I want to just, again, pastors like to do this. Can I just simplify it? Be careful and be confident. Be careful and be confident. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for our church. I want us to have a greater and greater confidence that God longs to speak to us, that God longs to guide our lives, that God longs to nudge us or, or prompt us towards specific actions in our lives. In real time, God wants to lead us. I want you to be confident of that, that he's with you and he desires to give you uh, guidance and direction even more than you want it. He wants to lead your life. He wants to lead you into good things. He wants to take you on an adventure in serving him. I want you to be confident of that. And then on the flip side, I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful and not careless when you, if you say, well, God told me this, well, you better be sure of that. You better double check that. I don't say that carelessly. And the second thing is I want you to be careful with people. Sometimes people say, wow, I, I, heard, I heard something for someone else. I love that. I want that in our church. I just want you to be careful with people. I don't want you to be careless with them. So if you think you've heard from God, 
Be careful. Be careful. Be careful with any message you might sense that you may have heard from God. Here's another New Testament scripture that sort of echoes this. It says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. So don't treat them with contempt. So if you say, oh, this hearing God stuff, that's, that's, oh, that's I, don't, I don't have any, any time for that. You shouldn't be that way. God wants to direct. He wants to be your Lord and your King. He wants to lead and guide you and give you direction. He also wants to function as your father, a good father. There's affirmation. There's affection. I've received words in my life where it's just like, oh, I needed that. Thank you, Father. So he wants to function relationally in your life. So don't treat hearing God or or the possibility of hearing God with contempt, but do test what you sense you're hearing. Is this really God? Or is this just your own thoughts? Or or is this something you you just want, uh, you know, you want to be true or something? I want you to be confident that as one of Jesus' sheep, that he wants you to hear his voice and he wants to nudge you with promptings towards obedient action and life-giving words that advance his kingdom. He wants to lead you and involve you in his work in the world, but I want you to be careful. I want you to care that you really heard from God. I want want that to be important, and I want you to care about your influence on other people. So since this message is about being confident and being careful, I'm just going to split the room right down the middle here. Okay, so on this side, you can be the be confident people. Okay, be confident. I want you to give me your best be confident, okay? So I want you to say be confident. Be confident. Yeah, sort of confident, but let's try it again, okay? All right, let's do it. be as confident as you can. Be confident. All right, I love it. And now you guys are the balance. I want you to be careful. Now, don't be like a, uh, you know, a, a nag about this, okay? Be careful. I want you to smile and be kind when you say it, okay? Because you love the person you're saying this to. So, but you're not going to be as extravagant as those guys. Just sort of say, hey, be careful. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Be careful. Yeah, okay, love it. Love it. One more time for you guys. Be confident. And you guys, be careful. All right, love it. That's what I want. That's what we want in our church. It would be a joy to me to have a church that's confident and careful. So how do we be careful? I've been talking for weeks about God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. There's a little bit of a balance here that I'm bringing here today. Um, first thing is your motivation is huge. First Corinthians, at the end of First, uh, First Corinthians, one of the last things is said is just be, be eager to prophesy. Be eager to hear from God. And in this case, it's be eager to hear from God, not just for yourself, but so that you have something to share with others. Wow, okay, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Be eager to prophesy. But why? But why? Why? There's, there's, there's reasons that you could be eager to do this that aren't good. Right? You could be eager to prophesy for the wrong reason. And I want you to be eager to prophesy for the right reason. You say, well, I'm eager to, to hear from God and be able to tell people what I heard because I'll feel important. That's not the right reason. Or I'll be promoted or I'll be recognized. Or I'll have prominence. Or I'll get the microphone. (laughs) Sorry. I'll get to say who keeps their microwave. You know, whatever it is. Wrong reasons. Wrong reasons. The reasons that are given in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is to build up the church. To build up the church. Two verses. 1 Corinthians 14.1. Follow the way of love. This is what it is all about. It's about loving people. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Especially prophecy. So, Eagerly desire. If you say, I don't want anything to do with that hearing God. Well, these commands are to, to desire that. Desire that God would speak to you so you could speak to others. What for? What's the point of it? Verse 3 tells us, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Will you say that with me? Strengthening, encouraging, comfort. One more time. Strengthening, encouraging, comfort. So be eager to speak to people for their strengthening and their encouraging and comfort. I was asking the Lord uh, this, this year when we've done Hearing God, but a couple years ago, I said, Lord, in which areas do you want me to excel when it comes to this whole area? And he spoke to me about just a few areas 
about areas to become excellent in. One was honesty about this thing, right? Honesty. Like, if you pray for someone and you're trying to hear something, for them, uh, something from God for them and you get nothing, that's exactly what you should report. Don't make something up. Just be totally honest. Like when we, so we have a, uh, we've had a lunch these last number of weeks where you can come for soup and bun lunch, and then we've been, doing, we've been just practicing listening prayer and, and you know, reading Scripture and, and, and seeing what God would say. And you know what? The, the biggest win at the beginning of something like that is that you're honest. So if, like, someone in a group goes, man, I, I got nothing. You should hoot and holler and jump up and down because they were honest. It's so important, right? If you want to hear from God more regularly in your life, you've got to be honest, but when you don't hear from God. So that's huge. Uh, the Lord was also telling me these other areas. My eagerness to minister to others. Some days I just don't care much. I'm selfish and self-focused. And so eagerness to minister to others, another thing to excel in. Humility. Humility. Like you can carry yourself like you're all that. And, and you know, when I started out as a pastor, like I don't know how many years ago, over 25 years ago, the big thing then in the context I was in was to be dogmatic, to be a guy who just always knew. And it was sort of, there was an element of faking it in that. But it was sort of the trend, and I, I realized people love strong leaders, so I sort of dove into that for a few years, you know, just be strong and confident and always say, you know, you have it together and you know what you know. And over time, I just was like, no, I, I don't even want that in a leader. I want a leader who's authentic and real. I want people, I like, still like strong leaders, but I want that to be true, Right? And so as you follow God, God will strengthen you in different areas and there are things that you can, you can say with absolute confidence because you know it's true from experience. And then there's other areas you're like, mm, I'm not totally sure. When you're ministering to another person, it's not the time to just sort of like fake it till you make it thing. Be honest. Be true. Have humility. Right? Just have humility and be, be who you are and where you're at. The other thing is I need to grow in, I needed to grow in listening. I, when people say, would you pray for me? I'm ready to pray now. Words come out of my mouth now. So I've had to learn to say, okay, let's pause. And then I just ask God, Lord, what do you want to say to my friend? And then listen. And be okay with there being a long pause where... I'm doing nothing but trying to be attentive to him. Because that hadn't been my practice for many years, and so I'm trying to, I've tried to instill that into my praying for other people, is to listen. I don't always get it right, but I think the Lord wants us to excel in that. And the other one is not, not seeking to be in control. Not seeking to be in control. God might give you a very significant word for another person, but that doesn't mean that immediately after that you're in charge of how they run their life. I've seen that, and that's a tendency sometimes that can happen. And so it's like, um, how do you involve people in the process? How do you how do you not take over? How do you not you know, if for someone to be really open for prayer, that's a vulnerable thing. I mean, you dare not abuse that. Like if God gives you something for them, give it to them. Give it to them as you got it, right? I'll, I'll tell you. Let me tell you a couple stories. Uh, first church I was in, um, terrible thing happened. Good family, friends, this family, and uh, out of the blue, um, the husband left the wife for another woman. It was just like, it was a shocking thing. And I was really close with this family. Anyhow, so it was the Sunday after the new, this news broke, and the whole, our whole church was sort of shell-shocked from this sudden thing that had happened. And um, the guy who'd left, he wasn't in church, but his wife that he'd left, she was. And uh, at the end of the church, we had a time of prayer, and she came down at the front of the church, and she was on her knees and just crying. And I was off a little bit to the side and just looking at her and, I was, I was, and feeling terrible about the whole thing. And then suddenly, this thought popped into my mind, and the thought was this. It's not your fault. That was the thought. It's not your fault. And um, it's funny because it's sort of how it came. It just was sort of like, it's not your fault. It popped in my head, and I thought, is that God or is that me? And then I thought, well, it can't be God because it's what everybody in the room already thinks. 
Like everybody, know, like there's not a person in this whole church who thinks it's her fault. Everybody thinks it's his fault. That's just how it was for people who are close to the scenario. So I was like, so it's so, it's so like, duh, everyone knows this, that it can't be God. That's what I thought. So, but I had a mentor in my life who was trying to train me in sort of listening more to the voice of God in my life. And so, anyhow, that service was over, and it was like the next day. So I chatted with him, and I just said, okay, this happened. I had this thought pop into my mind, and I, but I sort of dismissed it because it seemed sort of like, well, yeah, everybody knows that, right? And he just gave it to me. He goes, are you always going to be like this? When God gives you something, you're just going to be a big chicken? And I was like, whoa. Like I was like back on my heels and going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I, I don't, you know. So I thought, okay, how would I ever know whether that was God or not? Anyhow, I, I had an opportunity a few days later in the week where I, did, I ran into this lady again. And um, I, I, I asked her, I said, you know, on Sunday I saw you, you know, just having a tough time and, and I really felt for you and stuff like that. And I said, I wonder if you'd be willing to tell me just sort of some of the things that were going on inside of you on that. Like, you know, so I'm, I'm really feeling nervous about this conversation, but, but we're close. It's like we have a relationship. I'm not asking a stranger. We've known each other for many years, and we've been close. And so I just said, I wonder if you'd be willing to tell me just sort of what's going on in you. This is what she told me. She said, all I could think of was, if I'd been a better wife, he would have never left me. And then it's all my fault. I can't even tell this story. I've told this story so many times, but every time I... I, I like determine then and there. Stop being a chicken, Steve. Stop. Stop. How potent would it have been in that moment to come up and say... And I didn't have to come up and say, God told me it's not your fault. I didn't have to do that. There's so many safe ways that you can bring something to someone. Like, I could have con- con- gone up to her on that Sunday and just sort of said, hey, I, I just had this thought pop into my mind. I don't know if it, it means anything to you or not, but just the, the words that came to me were, it's not your fault. So I just offer that. Like, just that's, that's what came to mind. If I just did something like that, because in that moment, all the accusation was being dumped on her then it was her fault. And for someone to come along, which is the thought that it's not your fault, I mean, how powerful would that have been? To me, I dismissed it because I thought, oh, it, it was like, like it's sort of, there was some risk. I was entering into someone else's emotional world a little bit, but there wasn't that much risk in it. If I could have offered it just sort of open-handed and, you know, I, I just got this thought, not saying I know this is God, because I didn't. But I could have explored it with her and it could have been really beneficial. I'll give you another one. I was in Bible college, and I was sitting in a service. It was a Sunday evening service at the local church, and all the students were there. And I was sitting there listening to the sermon, and I got two things. I got in my mind, flashed a picture of one of the other guys, one of the other students at the college, and the word pornography. I had no idea. Like, I thought... I think, like that, like I never thought this before. This is, like it seems so like, boom, like that. So it felt very much like God was telling me something and it scared me spitless. Because I thought this, I mean, will this be for his strengthening, encouragement, or comfort? I can't see how it could be. And I thought, is God asking me to confront a guy about something? Is God, I mean, I probably never even talked to another guy about the topic of pornography at that point in my life. I was like, God, what am I supposed to do? Now, I think the mistake I actually made with that one was I, did, I, I was actually, you know, there was older Christians there. I could have asked them for advice. So I should have asked for advice. That's probably what I should have. But God still sort of got what I think God wanted out of that exchange in some ways because I started praying for that guy like crazy. And I, I intentionally made extra effort to befriend him. Uh, immediately after that service, I found him, and I, I said, can we walk home together, back to the campus? And so we, we walked back together, and I'm battling inside myself. Does God want me to confront him? But I can't do that. I don't know. Anyhow, I just didn't know what to do with it. Anyhow, I got back to the dorm, and uh, I'm still hanging out with him. I went and spent some time in his room and just chatting with him and fighting with God the whole time. Or not, Again, 
fighting with God, fighting what to do. I didn't even, again, I didn't have enough experience to know what to do with it, really. Uh, but anyhow, as we're just chatting casually in his room, he brought it up. He said, you know, Steve, I'm really struggling with, with you know, my addiction to pornography. I was like, okay, this was God. And I don't think I totally missed the boat. I think he, God wanted me to befriend him and pray for him and be there to care and be willing to hear. And, and I think God wanted to show me that he could speak to me. I think there's a lot of things involved in the collage. God was doing 100 things. I know about five. But this wasn't a moment to be in control or to be the man or to, you know, be the Old Testament prophet and, you know, I think it was just a moment where God wanted to say, I can direct people. When God, one guy's under this guilt and conviction of what's going on in his life, I can bring a friend. And I really didn't know this guy very much before that, but, but God wanted to do that in my life. I think one of the big things about if you feel like you've got a word for someone else is language is so important. How do you bring it? I grew up in a church where they would say, uh, you know, God told me, or thus saith the Lord. Like everyone seemed to have to throw God's, 100% approval on anything that they sensed. And I think that, that becomes a roadblock with people. In, at Hillcrest, we, we, we did a lot of training over the years to teach people just to say, I had a word pop into my mind. I had a thought come to me. There's a scripture that comes to mind. Um, I'm not sure if it's God or not. I'll just offer it to you with open hands. Or if it doesn't resonate with you, just delete it. Just letting people know that you're not there to control their life. You're not there to demand that they believe that what you said was from God. You're just allow, but you're allowing them to be part of the process. I think the most, the best thing you can do is if you have something like a phrase or a word or a thought or a picture come into your mind, don't add to it. Don't add to it. Just share exactly what you got. Let them be part of the process. Say, I, I as I was praying for you. As I was thinking about you, this phrase came into my mind, or this scripture came into my mind, or I had this picture. I'll just, you know, I don't know if that will, means anything to you, but if it doesn't, just forget about it. Just delete it. I'm just trying to learn to hear God's voice, and I want to be obedient with what he might nudge me into. And right? And I've had times where people say, I'll say, does that resonate with you? And they'll say, no. I say, okay, part of the learning process. And then other times people have said, that resonates so deeply you don't even know. I'm like, okay. God is alive and well and still guiding and directing his people. Here's the big question. I've asked it a few weeks, so I keep asking it. Do you want to be guided by God? This is the last verse I think I'll share with you today. Psalm 32.9. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. I think God's desire... I, have you ever seen someone, like, ride bareback, and they direct the horse just like a little knee nudge, a little touch? Ever seen that? Anyone ever seen that? You can look it up on YouTube. It's quite fascinating. I, I watched a video once where the, I think the girl might have been 11 years old, and she was riding this horse, no saddle, totally bareback, and you could almost not tell how she was directing the horse, but the horse was super responsive to just her touches. It's a huge beast. She's just a little girl. It was awesome. That horse somehow didn't need the bit and the bridle yanking him, jerking him all over the place to get him to, to, to obey or to go. And I think that's the relationship that God wants to have with us, that we can be guided just by a nudge, just by a prompt. Like, I almost never get a word like, go to Africa before you're 40. I shared that one last week. I almost never get a word like that. You know what I get? I get, pray for them. Talk to them. Don't do that. Do this. That's most of the direction I get. Just nudges, just prompts. And then if I obey those, I often discover there's a whole other realm of things that God has in store for me and for other people in following those things. 
And that's what I want for our church. I want people who are coming into relationship with other people just ready to minister, to bring encouragement, to bring strengthening, to bring comfort, and to not power up on anybody, and not demand that people believe that this is from God, but allowing people to discern whether it's from God, allowing them to be a part of the process of what God is doing in our lives. That's what I want for our church. So, team over here, can you help me? I want you to be confident. Let's try it again. Be confident. God wants to guide and direct you. He does. And I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful. You stand with me. Lord, I thank you that you desire to guide us. It's an incredible privilege to have you as our Father. And it's an incredible, incredible thing that you would guide us as our King. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you help us to bring our attention to you more, to listen more, to be still more, to ask you more for wisdom, to expect that you desire to lead and guide us in our lives. I pray that you would guide us in the simple things. Help us to learn obedience just with the simple things. Just with your still small voice saying this and this. And that we'd be responsive. Lord, make us, make us responsive. Lead us into that. I pray that we'd surrender all the different things that cloud this up for us. And we just make, Lord, would you make it simple again? That when we say we are your followers, it would be true, practically true, true in reality, functionally true in our lives. We are ones that sense your leading and we follow your direction. That's what we desire. Thank you that you desire it too. And everyone said, amen. But freedom could be found